Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where anyone and everyone who cannot bear the thought of remaining trapped in a status quo version of Christianity can find a home. Religious traditions eventually suffocate us. Empty church trends almost always leave us in the shallow end of the pool. But kingdom truth straight from God's word spiritually transforms us. And if you desire this, then you too are likely a maverick and a misfit. And now, here is our host, a Christian whose entire ministry has challenged the religious system, Jeff Lyle. Okay, all right. Got a little new got a little new theme music there and a new voice doing the intro to the show. Thank you, Savannah. Appreciate you dedicating your time and talents to help us at Mavericks and Misfits. And I kind of like the new sound too. Some of y'all hate change and apologies ahead of time for those of you that hate change. Uh, You will get over it, I promise, because the primary purpose of the podcast is not to introduce to you new genres of music, but to reacquaint you with the truth of the Word of God. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. My name's Jeff. Grateful to be able to host you for another episode. I believe this is episode number 72. Episode 72 of Mavericks and Misfits. For those of you that are tuning in for the very first time, we're blessed that you have stumbled across us or found us or somebody recommended. And however you got here, we're just glad that you're here. What you see is what you get. Or should I say, what you hear is what you get on Mavericks and Misfits. And um, today, um, I've got a little bit of a, an interesting passage of Scripture that I want to unpack. Some of you will have heard of the old ancient Philistine god named Dagon. Some of you know immediately uh, the history of Dagon when I mention that name. Most of you don't because it's just not a name that comes up, but it is a false god that is found in the Bible. And um, I have really been locked in to this issue of Dagon versus Yahweh. That's what I'm calling today's podcast, Dagon versus Yahweh. The God of the Jews, Yahweh, um, is uh, in the passage that I want to read to you out of 1 Samuel chapter 5. Is um, uh, Well, he is being opposed by a false religious system headed up by a fake, no-name, yet demonically propagated false Philistine god named Dagon. And um, if you've never heard the story of Dagon um, and what happens to him, when his people dare to come up against the glory of Yahweh, then you're probably going to enjoy this. I, I want to say this right in the onset. This is a fundamental theme of the Christian life that we must get so woven down deep into the core of who we are as Jesus followers. It's a non-negotiable. It's not a side dish. It's the main dish. The main thrust of the Christian life can be summed up in many ways, but I'm going to sum it up in very succinct way today all of existence and all of creation is for the glory of god all of existence and all of creation is for the glory of god Uh, my sub point to that would be and he does not share his glory with anyone if you don't get that down you're going to struggle frequently and often deeply in the christian life That God is the only being in existence that can, without any hint of sin, declare to everyone, it's all about me. God's the only one that can say that. Now, what's glorious is because he's holy and he's perfect and he's good and he's light and he's life and he's love, that when he declares to all of creation, hey, creation, 
it's all about me, he can do that and it's actually good news. The only way it could feel like bad news is if you are in any way in your heart saying, "Mm, I'm not so sure it's all about you. I want it to be about me sometimes. But the overarching theme of the eternal ages as they come will be the glory of God that is not shared with another. That also happens to be uh, the point of conflict in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 5, where Yahweh, the God of Israel, is coming up against Dagon, the God little g, of the Philistines. And so I'm going to read to you just a, a, a few verses. It actually covers like two chapters, but um, let me just read you these verses. I want you to just listen. If you're, if you're stationary and you've got your Bible nearby, you can, you can read with me in 1 Samuel 5. But I'm going to give you the background, but let me just read these verses as we get started. In 1 Samuel 5, 1, it says, When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, So the Ark of the Covenant, not Noah's Ark, but the Ark of God. When the Philistines captured it, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. So they took it from where they got it in Ebenezer. They took it back to their hometown of Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon. That is their God. And they set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. That is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. All right. It's weird, man. I love some of the weird Old Testament passages, and I don't mean that irreverently. It's the word of God. But from a human standpoint, this is weird. So I'm going to walk you through what this means, because I promise you this actually has something to do with you and I living today in the 21st century. And so I want to talk to you about Dagon versus Yahweh. Let me give you a little background. So in this time period, Israel, the covenant people of God, had backslidden. They were worshiping other gods. They were in their worshiping of other gods, indulging in all sorts of sensual practices. They were um, coming up on the edge of sacrificing their children. It would become epidemic later, but infanticide was happening in the land as they worshiped some of the other pagan gods. And meanwhile, they still considered themselves followers of Yahweh, even though they're acting like people that don't know Yahweh. They're killing their babies like people that don't know Yahweh. And they are engaging in sexual immorality like people that don't know Yahweh. But they were still very proud because Yahweh chose them through Abraham to be his covenant people. And so they constantly had surrounding them these enemy tribes and nations. And the Philistines were a constant thorn in the flesh for Israel. So the Philistines were just a regular over centuries enemy of Israel. And this is a season where the Philistines are coming up against Israel again. So Israel's like, okay, it's time to fight the Philistines again, but hallelujah, at least we have our God and our God will help us. So they go out to battle with the Philistines and they get, they get their backsides handed to them. That 4,000 soldiers die in one day. So they get a little freaked out and they come back, they regroup and they say, okay, what we need to do is we actually need to bring the physical presence of God to the battlefield with us. So they go back and they get the Ark of the Covenant. They get the Ark of God. 
and they bring the ark of God into the battle scene. It actually kind of messes with the minds of the Philistines for a little bit because they recognize, oh no, Israel's brought their God to the battle, we're in trouble. But the, the Philistines regroup, they say, no, let's just go out and fight like we fight and maybe our God, Dagon, will help us defeat their God, Yahweh. And so the Philistines go back out to the battle and man, they trounce Israel. Israel's got the ark of God on the battle scene. The ark of God with the cherubim on the top, you know, the box. It's a, it's basically a very ornate box that God told Moses how to build. And it's, it's a very uh, significant historical piece in Israel's culture. I don't have time to go into all of it, but it represented the very manifest physical presence of God. And so wherever the ark of God went, the Israelites thought, well, we're going to win. But on this time, they didn't. And the reason why is that they had the outward appearance of God's presence, but they actually didn't have God. <laughs> God's like, oh, y'all are just hauling the box around. I'm not going to battle with you. And sure enough, when they got on the battle scene, um, 40,000 more soldiers died. Um, it was it was incredible. Like, they I mean, they just got destroyed by the Philistines. And so somewhere between 34,000 and 40,000 Israel soldiers died. And then the Philistines captured the ark. They actually captured the ark of God. So now the Philistines had what they knew to be the representation of Israel's God. And they took it and they go back to the house of Dagon, their God. Let me just put it in modern terms. They went back to their apostate pagan house of worship where they had a massive statue of Dagon. And so they take the Ark of the Covenant, the representation of God to Israel, and they put it at the feet of Dagon in the pagan temple. I mean, you just got to think for a moment. This is disaster for Israel. In, in essence, in their you know backslidden state, they lost God. They took God to battle. They lost God. The enemy captured God. God's been taken captured, captive. Oh, no. And their God has taken our God captive. Whoa, what are we going to do? And so all of Israel is panicking. Now, it's very interesting, and I hope you'll find it interesting. I'm going to go somewhere with this, so stick with me. This is, this is history, but it's exciting. So all these people are lying dead on the battlefield. The ark of God is gone. Eli is the high priest in Israel. And Eli's two sons, who were wicked, wicked religious leaders, and God allowed them to die in the battle. But one of those boys had a pregnant wife back home. And when the news came that the ark of God had been stolen, Eli falls backward off his chair where he was waiting for the news. He breaks his neck and he dies. And then his daughter-in-law, the wife of his dead son, She's giving birth, and as she's giving birth, she knows what's going on. She knows that the ark has been stolen, and she names the son Ikabod. It's literally Hebrew, Ikavod, which means, Kavod is the Hebrew word for glory, and the first letter E, I, Ikavod means the glory is gone. The glory of God has departed. So this little boy, by the way, his mom dies during childbirth. It's a real depressing scene, but man, that's what happens when you backslide on God as a nation. Calamity hits that nation. Religion is exposed for what it is. It's just an empty box without the presence of God. People are casualties of it, and religious leaders were removed out of their position because they failed to lead. And so that little boy, Ichabod, you remember the, uh, what was it, Legend of Sleepy Hollow? Main character's name is Ichabod Crane. Ichabod literally means the glory is gone. 
So the context for all of this is that the glory of God has been diminished in Israel. And now the physical presence of God is sitting in the house of Dagon, this false god. And by the way, this is a weird looking thing. You can do a Google, Google Dagon and click on images and you're going to see pictures, ancient depictions of Dagon, the false Philistine god. But he was depicted as part man, part fish. He is known as the god of the grain, god of the harvest, god of the fish in the sea. There's a lot of debate about what his name actually means. But um, he was basically a god of prosperity, multiple types of prosperity from the sea, from the grain fields, from material wealth and so basically the Philistines could be said it could be said of them that they were serving prosperity and they submitted the presence of God, the God of Israel to their God of prosperity now that, that right there that'll preach not today but that'll preach because that's what's going on in a lot of churches in America and a lot of Christians they take God and make him bow at the feet you know I'm being symbolic here, but they make the ways of God bow at the feet of the, the ways of American prosperity. We'll deal with that on a different podcast. So back to the story. So the people are like celebrating in, in the Philistine territory. They're like, oh man, we just killed them. We killed 34,000, 40,000 of their people. We captured their ark and their God is now at the feet of our God in his temple, the temple of Dagon. This is awesome. And so they go to bed that night, you know, they're, they're just celebrating. They wake up the next morning and they go back to the temple to worship Dagon and Dagon's on his face. The statue of Dagon somehow during the night ended up on his face and the appearance of it was that he was bowing before the ark. Well, how embarrassing for the Philistines. So they do what pagans have to do. Pagans have to prop up their God <laughs> because their God doesn't exist. Their God's not a real God. And so they put the statue back up on its feet. They pretend like nothing happened. They worship Dagon that day. They go about their day. They go to bed that night. And they show back up at the temple the following morning, the temple of Dagon. And then the following morning, the second morning, Dagon's not only back down on his face before the ark of God, but his head's been cut off and so have his hands. It's very intense. What, what happened, Jeff? Is that a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. You see, nobody was living for God's glory. Nobody. Israel certainly wasn't, as exemplified and symbolized by the name Ichabod. The glory of God was departed. Israel was backslidden. God doesn't share his glory, so he wasn't wanted in Israel, so he literally allowed the ark to get captured. And the people that captured the ark, the Philistines, they weren't going to glorify God. They were celebrating. They thought their God, Dagon, was a stronger God than Yahweh. And so they're putting, they're putting Yahweh at the feet of Dagon. And so they weren't glorifying God. Israel wasn't glorifying God. But guess what? God is going to glorify God. Let me pause here for a second. Mark it down. God will get the glory. Go ahead and say it out loud. God will get his glory. Um, we, we live in a world today, man, where it, if you're not careful as a Christian, you look around you and you think the devil's winning. Well, don't be stupid. The devil's not winning. God will get him the glory. God is going to get his own glory. He's going to reveal his glory and he's going to cause every knee to bow, every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father that's going to happen. And so when we're looking around and we're seeing a temporary moment where it looks like Dagon's standing upright and the people of God and therefore, you know, the God of the people doesn't look like he is who he says he is, uh, you just need to give it a minute because what God's doing is he's setting up a context where he's about to convince everybody that he is the glorious one. 
And so that's what he did in the temple of Dagon. So it gets, it gets even more intense. By the way, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you need to know that this isn't the only reference to the temple of Dagon. Do y'all remember the story of Samuel in the book of Judges? I'm not Samuel. I'm sorry. Uh, the story of Samson in the book of Judges. Samson's death. Do you know, do you know where he died? Do you know the temple that he pulled down? It was a temple of Dagon. It was a Philistine temple of Dagon. Um, that's in Judges 16, if you want to read it. But the the Philistines had brought Samson to humiliate him into the temple of Dagon. And they were going to offer a sacrifice there and rejoice because they had defeated the Israelite hero, hero named Samson. And then Samson pulls down with the last amount of his Holy Spirit anointed strength, pulls down the temple of Dagon, destroys the entire temple there in that in that territory. And then you may not know this, when Saul died, the Philistines are the ones that killed King Saul. And do you know what they did? They cut off his head and they stuck it on a spike. Do you know where they stuck it? At the temple of Dagon. So this, we can call it this, this, this battle, it seems like a battle between the God of the Philistines, Dagon, and the God of the Jews, Yahweh. And so this is not the only um, conflict that has happened between uh, the two nations that these gods represent. And we know, of course, that God's the only real God, but the Philistines believed that Dagon was real, and so they acted like it. And so what God is saying is, oh, you silly bunch of pagan Philistines. You're worshiping a God that you have to prop up. You're worshiping a God that I caused to bow at my feet. It's just a statue made of bronze or made of clay or made of ceramic or marble, but I'm going to make it bow at my feet. So when you show up in the morning, you'll see that your God is nothing. And then when you come back the next day, I'm going to convince you even more because I'm not only going to make it bow at my feet again, I'm going to cut off its head and I'm going to cut off its hand. And that's exactly what God did, but he wasn't done yet because when God gets the glory, he's not just out to defend his name. He's out to convince everybody that they had better repented his glory. Man, this gets intense. So what does God do? So after the people recognize that literally God is greater than Dagon, Yahweh is greater than Dagon. They, um, they contact their priest. They're like, oh my goodness, the, the God of the Jews has defeated our God and he's making us look terrible in the process of all of this happening. It took seven months. The Ark of God was in the Philistine territory for seven months. And during the seven months, you know what God did? This is crazy stuff. It's right there in your Bible. Go to first Samuel six. You can read this. God afflicted all of the worshipers of Dagon, he sent massive amounts of rodents into the land. And the rodents, you know, reasonably would have come in and devoured the crops. And by the way, Dagon was the god of the crops. He was one of the the protectors and providers and prosperers of the crops. And God sent in just a boatload of mice and they would have eaten the crops. They would have spread disease if that wasn't bad enough. This is almost funny. Uh, God gave the Philistines hemorrhoids did you hear me on that? It's there. Um, it, it, in the Hebrew, it's swellings, but the King James translators knew what that was. It's, they were too polite to say it. It was called emerods in the King James. But you put an H in front of emerod and you get hemorrhoid, which is where we get our word hemorrhoid. And God gave the, he humiliated them. So he's, he's afflicting them. A bunch of them died. The mice came in. The Philistines are panicking. They now know that they got to get rid of the ark, get it back to Israel. Why? Because the glory of God belongs to the people of Israel, not in the land of the Philistines. So I'm going to shorten the story here. They go to their priests and their priests say, you've got to glorify God. You've got to glorify the God of the Jews. 
They literally said that. They, they came and asked him, they said, what are we going to do with the ark of the God of Israel? And uh, in 1 Samuel 5, 9, it says, um, they, they brought the ark of God to them. God had afflicted the men of the city, young and old, so that tumors or swellings in the Hebrew or its hemorrhoids broke out. And they said this, they said, send away the ark of the God of Israel, get it out of here. Remember how happy they were when they captured it? Now they realize they can't handle the glory of God. It's actually against them. And they said, get rid of the ark of God, let it return to its own place so that we're not going to die. And the Bible says that this, the hand of God was heavy there. And the men who didn't die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So, this is intense, guys. This is not like small. This is how intensely committed the Lord is to his own glory. Behind every false system of worship, behind every religion that is not centered in Jesus Christ, there's a demonic presence that rivals the glory of God. If you'll remember with me, the reason why Lucifer, who would later be called Satan, was evicted from heaven is because he was the chief anointed angel in heaven and he wanted God's glory. You, you, you look at Ezekiel 28, you look at Isaiah 14, and you're going to find that the the prophetic portrayal of, of Lucifer in heaven is he saw God's glory and says, I want that. And boy, that didn't serve him very well. He got evicted from heaven, became the arch enemy of God, and now is destined to damnation, and he knows his time is short. So he's fighting. And because God's people aren't committed to God's glory, just like ancient Israel, come on, let's just call it what it is. The church today is is compromised. We're alloyed. We, you know, we, we show up, we worship, status quo, quo Christianity. We're going to show up on Sundays. We'll do our 45 minutes. We'll sing a song or two, throw a little bit of money in the plate, maybe. Um, we'll say we love God. We'll mention the name of Jesus. We'll pray over our meals, but we're compromised because we're bowing at false altars of the culture all during the week. Christians getting drunk, Christians you know, indulging in pornography. By the way, let me just say this. I, I used to hear a long time ago, like, People would just talk about looking at pornography and they would call it a sin. I've noticed in the last like three years, people don't talk about looking at pornography being a sin. They now say addicted to pornography. And I'm concerned that the the slight change, the nuance is, have we just come to believe that everybody's going to look at it and that's really not a sin, but only being addicted to it is? I don't know. It's just a thought. I, I'll just go ahead and tell you, looking at it is still a sin, no matter how far the culture has gone. But that's the church. The church is bowing down at these false altars. And so it's over and over and over again, and the glory of God is not resting upon most local churches. And I'll just be bold. Some of y'all that are listening, you're going to churches where the glory of God is not the primary focus. Um, they're making people the primary focus, or cool vibes the primary focus, or a larger crowd the primary focus, or even theology the primary focus. No, the glory of God is the primary focus. Christianity is an expression of deep, deep devotion and love towards a personal God. And the, the proponents of Christianity, the Christians themselves, love his glory more than they love everything, including their own glory. So this is what happens. If Israel wouldn't glorify God, and the Philistines certainly weren't going to glorify God, God says, I will glorify God. I will glorify myself. And so he removes his glory from Israel, Ichabod, Ichavod. Ichabod, glory of God is left. He allows the ark to get captured. And then God reveals his glory over Dagon by knocking him down two days in a row and then cutting off his head, cutting off his hands. 
And he's saying to the people in, in Philistia, he's saying, I'm greater than your false God. You ought to bow to me. And they won't do it. And so God afflicts them with the hemorrhoids, the mice. They finally offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And their own priests tell them, you better give glory to Yahweh. You can read it. It's right there in 1 Samuel 5, 1 Samuel 6. Their own pagan priest, when they see the outbreak from Yahweh against the people of the Philistines, they say, you need to get this ark out of here, send it back home, make a sacrifice, offer an offering, and you need to give God, Yahweh, the glory. Isn't that incredible? So in the end, the ark goes back to Israel. The people are led by Samuel who takes over for Eli. Eli's dead. His sons are dead. Samuel becomes the first judge and the spiritual leader of Israel. And the first thing he does is he says, if you guys want the favor, blessing, and presence and power of God back in Israel, burn all of your idols, repent of all of your false religious worship by which you have been compromised, worship God alone, repent to him, and his presence and his glory will be restored to Israel. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. So God removed his glory from Israel, established his glory in the land of the Philistines. When he established his glory in the land of the Philistines by, by afflicting them, he brought himself back to Israel and as if to say, okay, Israel, do y'all want my glory now? And if you do, my servant Samuel's telling you how to get it. You've got to repent. And so Israel did. Now we know the rest of the history of Israel. They went in and out of times of glorifying God, times of rebelling against God, so on and so on. And it's a long roller coaster for them. But here's what I'm saying to you as I wrap up today. Um, you know, this can be an individual message. There might be some of you out there that are kind of living individually and personally like Israel did. You know, worshiping God on Sunday, playing the Jesus game. But you know in your heart of hearts you're not, you're not consecrated, you're not devoted, you're not sold out. Um, you're hiding your sin. You're managing your sin instead of believing the word that says, blessed is the one who confesses and forsakes his sin. You know the Bible says that? Blessed is the one who confesses and forsakes his sin. So hiding sin is foolish because how do you hide sin from an omniscient God who sees everything? You're not, you're not informing God when you confess your sin. You're, you're agreeing with God. You're coming into agreement with what he already says about sin. And so if you'll get to the place where you just confess it and forsake it and get real, get raw, get honest, break off, make no provision for the flesh, quit, quit being in places and hanging with people that actually bring you down, quit visiting the temple of Dagon on your way to the temple of God. Just make up your mind. Maybe that's the message for today. If God is going to get the glory, just make up your mind once and for all. Are you going to live for his glory? Because that's the theme of the ages when everything is done. I mean, even the glory of the present earth and the heavens, God says, yeah, that's not fit for me. I'm going to wrap up all that. I'm actually going to uncreate the heavens and the earth, and I'm going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth that's fit for my glory. And so, guys, when we're thinking about this, you know, whose glory are, are we living for? Are you living for your own? You get upset when nobody gives you a platform. I, I, I deal with a lot of people and you know, I'm, I meet folks in their 20s and they're wanting a platform. And they actually feel entitled to a platform. Let me just go ahead and call it what it is. That's probably you living for your own glory and you may not be aware of it. 
Um, your platform is wherever you stand before the king of kings. If it's in a church building or before an audience, great. If he gives it to you, fine. Maximize it for his glory. But if he puts you on a street corner in the sense of witnessing or at work in a cubicle or in your family, that's your platform. Fame is not anything any Christian is entitled to. It's actually antithetical to the nature of Jesus to want to be famous. It's completely opposite of, of the heart of Jesus. But we're so we're glory hogs, man. And so God says, I will not share my glory with another. Since that's already been declared, why did people try to live to get their own glory? And ultimately what God is saying, I think in this generation, is he's saying to the church in America, I'm ready to restore my glory to you. My glory is glorious. It is what you want. It is what you need. It is what I'm all about. It is your greatest sense of peace. It is your greatest outlet for power, for my glory, my name. You will see and experience everything you want to see and experience in the kingdom when it, you make it about my glory. An American church or any church, wherever in the world, you might be listening in a different part of the world. We've got some friends in South Africa that are listening and some friends that are in Europe that are listening and a couple of friends in Africa that are listening. And, and listen, make it all about the glory of God. I mean, make it all about the glory of God because that's what he's saying right now. He's saying before my son comes again, I'm sending him to a bride that is all about my glory. And guys, if we can get that, it'll solve a whole host of ills in the American church. Well, that's all the time that I've got for today. I hear the new funky music playing. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. I want to encourage you to go by transformingtruth.org and uh, you'll find a lot of resources there to help you in your walk. Rate and review Mavericks and Misfits wherever you listen to it. Help us get the word out and tune in again. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning. We will talk to you next time. God bless. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Mavericks and Misfits. If you are helped by what Jeff shared today, please take a moment to rate and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or Spotify. Your review helps us enlarge our digital footprint to reach more potential listeners every week. Also, please take advantage of the free written and video resources made available at transformingtruth.org. Join us again every Tuesday for a brand new episode of Mavericks and Misfits.